Chapter 6, Employment Contracts. Uh, the Chapter 5, when we talked about Chapter 5, I'd made mention that the two large areas in the real estate business are the brokerage field and the property management field. Uh, they have employment contracts in those two large fields. In the brokerage field, the employment contracts are between the sellers and the agents and the buyers and the agents and the seller contracts would be called listing agreements and in the buyer uh, contracts those would be called buyer brokerage agreements. In the property management field the contracts that would be used would be the property manager agreement that's where the owner hires an, a, a real estate company to uh, you know manage their properties for them and then the other contract would be the uh, a contract between a, a tenant and a broker, sometimes called a tenant rep agreement. So all of those are considered employment agreements. Primarily here in Chapter 6, we're going to just talk about employment agreements in the brokerage end of the business, which would be listing contracts, and we'll also talk a little bit about buyer brokerage agreements. Um, so employment agreements, as we said, include listing agreements, buyer brokerage agreements, property management agreements, and tenant rep agreements and we have specifically Illinois law that applies to all of these. Listing agreements, as I said before, and the buyer brokerage agreements are primarily what we're talking about in this chapter here. Listing agreements. When a seller hires us and employs us, we enter into an employment agreement with them, and those employment agreements, as we find on page 81, there are basically three kinds of employment agreements. Uh, the first is called the exclusive right to sell, which is where the uh, seller hires one agent to represent them in these in in becoming the and uh, finding a buyer that's ready, willing, and able. And when I say agent, we probably should even say agency. They hire a real estate brokerage company as their exclusive agent uh, to represent them. Uh, the exclusive agency agreement is one where you hire one agent to represent you, but also the owner has the right to sell the property themselves and not have to pay a commission. In an open listing, uh, basically any real estate agency um, uh, can sell, can find the buyer ready, willing, and able, and uh, including the owner themselves, in which case uh, that brokerage company would be the one to uh, receive the commission. So the exclusive right to sell is one where when you have a seller that will engage in that exclusive right to sell listing agreement, uh, you know that if you spend a lot of hard work, time, energy, and money in marketing that, there's a good chance that at the end of the transaction you'll get paid because you will be the one that has found the buyer ready, willing, and able. The exclusive agency, a good example of that might be a builder. A builder would have their own sales staff, probably unlicensed sales staff uh, selling their track homes, but that builder still might list the property with one agent. And that agent, uh, if, uh, if, if a buyer came through, let's say, the multiple listing service or the efforts of that agent and went to that, uh, that subdivision and bought a home there, then that agent would be paid. But uh, in the exclusive agency agreement, then, uh, an owner still retains the right to sell in property themselves and not have to pay anybody a commission. Sometimes the questions asked, which is the best listing agreement for the uh, brokerage company? And of course, that would be the exclusive right to sell. 
and what would be the best listing for a seller. A lot of people think it, it's the open listing because you know there's no obligation there. They hire a bunch of agents. Whoever performs, they get paid, or, or they also retain the right as the sellers to sell the property themselves. But probably the exclusive right to sell is the best listing contract for a motivated seller and, of course, a motivated brokerage company because the seller knows that someone's going to be out there working every day to really find a buyer and not just sort of kicking tires or if they run into a deal, uh, you know, they'll get involved in it. Uh, they probably, under the open listing, uh, the uh, brokerage company probably isn't going to work too hard or invest too much time, effort, or money into marketing that property. So if you're interested in selling your property, Mr. Seller, engage an exclusive right to sell with a brokerage company. The exclusive right to sell then, one broker is selected to represent the seller. The selected broker is paid the commission regardless who finds the buyer. The exclusive agency, well again, one broker is selected to represent the seller, but the, the uh, broker is paid the commission if they or another broker is involved in the sale. However, the seller still retains the right to sell their own property, find the buyer, and without any obligation to pay a commission. All these listings, the exclusive right to sell and the exclusive agency, are sometimes called exclusive listings. And sometimes we hear the term, oh, I took an exclusive today. Uh, that's, that's real estate talk for an exclusive right to sell. But exclusive listings can include the exclusive agency and the exclusive right to sell. And those listings, A, must be in writing. B, any changes must be in writing and signed by the signatories. The commission's got to be stated in that listing agreement. Uh, the names of the broker, the seller. And in Illinois, we have a thing called designated agency. So when we sign a listing agreement, even though that, that exclusive right to sell or exclusive agency is between the owner and a real estate firm or company, in that listing agreement, we will designate an agent to represent the seller other than the brokerage company being the agent of the seller. So the contract is between the seller and the brokerage company but the designated agency is between a, quote, broker salesperson and the seller. Exclusive listings have to have a specific duration. That means they have to come to an end at a specific date. The list price has to be stated. The address of the property needs to be on it. If there's going to be dual agency, uh, we must at least give, in our listing agreement, uh, authorization to be a dual agent if in fact that opportunity might take place. Uh, so we are going to give our, uh, if you will, uh, the authorization by the seller to be a dual agent. Uh, and we won't you know, know we're going to be a dual agent until maybe later in the transaction, in which case we're also going to have to have a confirmation of dual agency in addition to the authorization that the seller is giving for the potential for dual agency. Uh, if there's uh, a if there's a reason why the seller would not be entitled to the earnest money upon a buyer default, that needs to be in the listing agreement in bold letters, so that seller knows that if for some reason that 
the buyer defaults, they're not going to get the earnest money. It's going to go somewhere else, perhaps to the broker, that needs to be in the listing contract so the seller's aware, aware of that from the very beginning. Uh, no discrimination. We must have that clause in the listing agreement or buyer brokerage agreement. Uh, we must have a section of where we talk about minimum services, types of minimum services that we can offer someone and not have that arise to uh, agency. Antitrust language should be stated. That's illegal for the broker to uh, set or conspire with setting commissions with other brokers. An open listing is usually their verbal agreements. They are legal in Illinois. Probably not recommended, but they're legal. Uh, again, any number of brokers can go and sell the property. So an open listing means first to find the buyer gets paid, everybody else gets nothing. So not too many brokers are going to spend a lot of time, effort, or money trying to market an open listing. Seller retains the right again to sell without a broker. Uh, they're unenforceable in that if at the end of an open listing, you might say, hey, I was really the one that brought the buyer. Some other broker stepped in the last minute and took the buyer away from me, and that's, that's who consummated the sale. I'm going to sue for a commission because I was really the, the procuring cause. It'll be unenforceable. Uh, oral, oral open listings are unenforceable. Um, unable to advertise or create a flyer or place a sign. Uh, when you use open listings, you can't do any of those because we need to have written permission to do that. And since these are typically verbal agreements, uh, we won't be able to advertise the property. Net listing is a listing that, again, is legal but not recommended. It's where the seller says, I want to net a certain amount of money when the property sells and you, Mr. Broker, can keep any commission beyond what I net. Obviously, if you're representing a seller and the seller's best interest, this might be a good opportunity to de defraud the seller, where the seller might think that their property is worth $300,000, for instance. You know you can sell it for 450000 which you do, and then you would keep an exorbitant commission of $150,000 over what they wanted to net, which is 300000 so uh, net listings, while legal, are not recommended. And if you get involved in them, you have to be very careful about how much you're paid in, in the real estate transaction above the net amount that the seller would receive. Okay, let's do a math problem with net listings. Here's our problem. The seller wants to receive or net $550,000. Now he wants to net $550,000. So this is after paying every expense on that's involved in the transaction. He wants to walk away with $550,000 in his jeans. Now <clears throat> he's going to pay a 6% commission and he's got other costs of $3,500. So the question is how much should we sell this property for such that at the end of the deal, he's going to walk away with his $550,000 in his pocket. And here's our solution. We take the $550,000, we add the additional closing costs to it, in this case the $3,500. So that totals $553,500. Now here's what we do. 
we add those two items, the, what, what he wants to net and these other closing costs. But we have to factor in this commission to this sales price. How do we do that? We take that sum and we divide it, 550,500, and we divide it by 0 0.94. 0.94 is what I call the reciprocal of the commission amount. In this case, the commission is 6%. 6% from 100% is 94%. If the commission were 5%, we divide by 0.95. If the commission were 3%, we divide by 0.97. That's the big trick to this. In doing your net listing math, the big trick is understanding this and, and, and using this idea, this reciprocal. So just take the commission, subtract it from 100%, and that's what you divide your sum by. And that'll give your answer. Sale price, $588,829.79. Now, for those of you that don't believe that, you can go ahead and take 6% of that, subtract it out, subtract the 3500 out, and you will see the seller is going to walk away with his $550,000. So that's the big trick. Divide by the, quote, reciprocal of the commission. If you remember that simple little trick, you'll be able to do net listing problems and get them all correct. Page 96, uh, we talk about an option listing. And an option listing is a listing that gives the broker the right to purchase the property uh, within probably the listing period of time, typically the period of time that he has the option to do that. Um, an option uh, is the right of the broker to purchase it if he wants at his discretion, which is a little different than a guaranteed sales. Uh, guaranteed sales listing uh, is a actually a separate contract that goes along with the listing. The guaranteed sales agreement um, guarantees the sale of the property, in which the broker is saying that if somebody doesn't buy this within the listing period of time, I'll buy it myself. Uh, both of these are legal. Uh, they're not recommended. I don't think either of them are a good idea. They're basically listing techniques, ways of encouraging sellers to list your property. Basically, you're saying that, you know, if it doesn't sell in a listing period of time, I may even buy it myself if we can work out a deal. Or the guaranteed sale says, you know, we, we guarantee this, this, this property is going to sell. If we can't sell it, we'll buy it. Uh, there are uh, rules and regulations that apply to both of these option listings as well as guaranteed sales agreements uh, that affect uh, the broker uh, in being involved in either of these types of transactions. So if you're a broker involved and certainly a seller involved, proceed with caution, uh, follow any laws that may apply, and uh, certainly uh, I think uh, we, you know, seller needs maybe get some advice uh, from perhaps legal counsel or maybe other brokers uh, before they get involved in these option listings or these guaranteed sales. I'm, I'm not sure they're, they're good ideas, uh, but in any event, they are legal, and if you are involved in them, then proceed with caution. Know the rules and regulations that apply to them because they're going to affect you if you're a broker involved in either the option listing or a guaranteed sale. A multiple listing service is really a service that allows you to um, take uh, listings and you're able to uh, share them with other properties. It's really a marketing tool. There's no such thing as a multiple listing, uh, listing agreement. Uh, typically, multiple listings will accept exclusive rights to sell and exclusive agencies. Most multiple listing services will not accept uh, open listings, and one reason, of course, is they're typically oral listings.
so the listing process, we sign a listing agreement. Uh, there's a sample of one on uh, page 88, and you might take a look at that when you get a chance and go through a listing agreement and see all the different clauses and conditions and uh, what uh, formation of that. Uh, as we're listing property, we're going to also give the seller a CMA, which is a competitive market analysis. We're going to tell the seller what we believe the property is worth on the open market as of a, as of a certain date. Uh, we should give the seller a seller's net sheet uh, based on the CMA, what we think the property is going to sell for, what normal typical closing costs are going to be for the seller. We're going to give the seller an idea of what we think they should walk away with in cash at the end of the deal. Uh, again, this is an estimate. This seller's net sheet is a best guesstimate of what we think the seller will net at the end of the transaction. Uh, other items to be included on, on listing agreements, again on page 88, if you look at some of the other terms there um, uh, at an actual listing agreement, uh, I think that's a, that's a great, uh, you know, a good use of your time. So do that at some point in time. It's, it's a fairly long listing agreement. You don't have to know any of this really for the state exam, I would say, but I think if you just peruse through that one time, that would be a good, a good exercise for you. Disclosures, um, we need to give uh, disclosures to parties in the transactions. And on page 87 through 92, we talk about some of the uh, disclosures that we need to be given uh, to parties. And you'll see them right in the listing agreement as well. Uh, some of these disclosures uh, found on page 92 are disclosure of agency, we have to disclose to the seller uh, what kind of agency we're going to have with them, if in fact we're going to represent them as their uh, agent or as our client, or if in fact we're going to just work with them as a customer and not as an agent. Very important. Uh, we have to disclose any interest that we might have in the property. So if we were dealing with a buyer and selling our own property, we must disclose to the buyer that we're a Illinois licensed registrant or Illinois licensed broker. If you want to put that on your on your uh, list on your listing on your sales contract, I should say. Uh, so on any documents that apply to properties that we're dealing with, we want to al always uh, show that we have an interest in the property as the licensed broker or seller or as a licensed broker potential purchaser. Uh, we need to put this on all of the uh, contracts that affect us that we are in fact real estate licensees in Illinois. Uh, disclose any material fact uh, to uh, all parties. Uh, and material facts would be facts that any prudent buyer, once he knew that would be an important uh, factor for him to know in making a decision whether or not to uh, engage in a contract. Uh, so those material facts must be disclosed uh, as soon as we as licensees are aware of them. Uh, disclosure of special compensation. If somehow we're getting some special compensation, we should disclose that. So if we've listed property with the seller, we're the designated agent of the seller, and in the process, a, a buyer, excuse me, a, a buyer might also be uh, paying us a 
a fee or a commission to find property for them. Uh, we need to tell all parties that we're being compensated by both seller and buyer in this transaction. Uh, we need to uh, discuss what, what default uh, means to the disposition of earnest money. And as we said before, if for some reason the seller would not be entitled to earnest money upon default of a buyer, uh, then we need to say that and uh, specify that on the outset with, with in our listing agreement. Other disclosure, disclosures, disclosure of property condition, that's primarily a disclosure the seller would make when the seller completes the property disclosure form. And that would be also called the Illinois Property Disclosure Report on page 40. Sellers complete that. Uh, we as uh, agents should not help them complete that, advise or counsel them. They should do that all on their own or in, in, in conjunction with their attorney. A lead-based paint, if it's a property built prior to 1978, there are certain lead-based paint disclosures we have to, that our sellers have to make, and we have to notify our sellers that they're going to have to make that on properties, as I say, built prior to 1978. Um, and we'll talk more about that in, under environmental clauses. But primarily with lead-based paint, our sellers will have to make fill out a disclosure, lead-based paint disclosure form, uh, telling potential buyers whether they do, are, or aren't aware of the presence of lead-based paint, whether it's been mitigated, uh, and uh, to give our potential buyers a uh, lead-based paint disclosure pamphlet. This also applies to uh, our, our advising landlords have to give the disclosure form as well as the pamphlet to potential tenants. A radon disclosure has to be made. This is a seller's disclosure. Uh, has to be made if uh, there, if there, uh, if we know that we're in a radon area, uh, and this will be something you'll talk to your brokers about whether or not sellers have to make this uh, disclosure. Uh, this isn't something that uh, all sellers have to make, uh, but something that you might want to discuss with your broker and your sellers if in that area we have to make some lead-based paint, uh, excuse me, radon disclosure as well as uh, we and as agents have to sign the radon disclosure form. All exclusive listing agreements then have to meet certain minimum requirements and on page 93 we see list price, uh, the compensation is going to be paid, there has to be a time limit, the names of the parties of course, the address of the property, uh, a statement on minimum services, a statement on fair housing, and a statement on antitrust. Those are important ones. We don't have a uniform state-approved listing contracts. Some states do. So be familiar with the listing agreement that's used either in your area or the one used by your office. All exclusive listing agreements then have to meet certain minimum requirements. And on page 93, we see list price, uh, the compensation is going to be paid, there has to be a time limit, the names of the parties of course, the address of the property, uh, a statement on minimum services, a statement on fair housing, and a statement on antitrust. Those are important ones.
We don't have a uniform state-approved listing contract. Some states do. So be familiar with the listing agreement that's used either in your area or the one used by your office. All exclusive listing agreements then have to meet certain minimum requirements. And on page 93, we see list price. Uh, the compensation is going to be paid. There has to be a time limit, the names of the parties, of course, the address of the property, uh, a statement on minimum services, a statement on fair housing, and a statement on antitrust. Those are important ones. We don't have a uniform state-approved listing contract. Some states do. So be familiar with the listing agreement that's used either in your area or the one used by your office. Uh, brokers can have a protection period where the protection period clause on the listing agreement would provide for payment of a commission after the expiration date if a purchaser to whom the broker had physically shown the property returns to purchase it. Typically this is for a fairly short period of time, 30, maybe 60 days perhaps. However, if the property is relisted by another broker, all of these existing uh, safety or broker protection periods are canceled. So once it's been relisted, then the earlier broker would lose his protection period. Perhaps we're going to be representing a buyer. So the buyer might sign an exclusive buyer agency agreement with our real estate firm. And we would be the designated, be made named at the designated agent of a buyer. Uh, these buyer agency agreements are pretty similar to the seller agreements. Uh, where we have an exclusive buyer agency agreement where, where we're going to represent, we will represent one buyer. The buyer will have us as agent just represent them exclusively. We can have an exclusive buy agency buyer agency agreement where the buyer designates one broker to find him a ready, willing, and able seller, if you will. Uh, however, the buyer under an exclusive agency buyer agency agreement can still uh, find the seller himself and not have to pay a commission. And yes, there is an open buyer agency agreement, not recommended, uh, but this would be an oral agreement where basically a buyer would go around to many brokers and say, hey, if you find me a seller that meets my terms, I'll pay you a commission. However, I still retain the right to sell the property to find the seller myself for the property and not pay a commission. So the exclusive buyer agency, only one agent is designated to represent that buyer in finding a seller. Exclusive agency buyer agency, only one agent, again designated to find the buyer. However, the buyer reserves the right to find the seller himself and not pay a commission. And of course, of course the open buyer agency agreement, any broker any and the buyer himself can find the seller uh, and either not pay a commission or pay the commission of the successful agent that finds the seller for the buyer. You might remember when we see exclusive buyer agency, we have agency, buyer agency. So we sort of have you know agents on either end and a buyer in the middle. I guess that might clue you off on the where the, we have agents and buyers there. 
maybe somehow that will help you remember the difference between exclusive buyer agency and exclusive agency buyer agency. Listings all must have a definite period of time. They can't have automatic renewals on a certain date that listing contract must terminate. If the contract does not have a definite termination agreement, uh, then the seller can terminate that agreement uh, and uh, uh, anyone dealing with a listing agreement that doesn't have an automatic expiration date uh, might face license suspension, suspension or revocation, so very important. When do these agency agreements terminate, whether they're the buyer agency agreement or whether they're the uh, seller agency agreement? They terminate, of course, upon the closing of the transaction or the expiration of the time period. If there's been substantial destruction of the premises, those uh, employment agreements will terminate. Uh, some force outside the owner's control might terminate these agreements, like condemnation or an eminent domain proceeding to take the property. Operation of law, and in the case of the client's bankruptcy, if the broker and client mutually agree to end the agreement, the broker or the client dies or becomes incapacitated. And when I say broker, I mean the sponsoring or managing broker, not the quote broker designated agent. The broker, managing broker, or the sponsoring broker or client breaches the contract. Uh, listings all must have a definite period of time. They can't have automatic renewals on a certain date that listing contract must terminate. If the contract does not have a definite termination agreement, uh, then the seller can terminate that agreement uh, and uh, uh, anyone dealing with a listing agreement that doesn't have an automatic expiration date uh, might face license suspension or revocation, so very important. Chapter 6, we've kind of did a nice little summary for you. You might want to take the study guide exercises in your study guide and also do the chapter review questions.